Hey, welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Thank you, Benjamin. How are you all today? You know, we've been doing the last probably six to eight weeks, we've been talking about worship and... uh, uh, you know, it's God is he, he wants to download into us. He wants to download into us revelation of who He is. He wants to download into us the the revelation of His greatness. Because, like we've spoken about, uh, uh, worship is our response to His greatness. And uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, I I want more awe in me for God. Do you want more awe in you? Because you know, and, and it's hard to create awe, isn't it? You know, we're, we're singing songs and we're doing life and there's this awesome and mighty creator that's, that is, you know, omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent, you know, meaning he's all-knowing, he's everywhere, you know, he's, he, can, he can do all things. You know, he is, here's this God there, yet sometimes I, I don't feel in awe of him. Do you, does anyone kind of get that in life sometimes? Sometimes whatever's in front of me seems more awful than what God is awesome. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm on a journey to gain more awe of the King. And you know, we, we, we tend to do that in life, don't we? We tend to go on these, these journeys to discover awe. And uh, in two weeks, actually two weeks from today, uh, I'll be in um, Tanzania, Africa, with, a, with a, uh, my partner in crime over here, Ben Madden and Tyson Pardon, and we'll be climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And uh, it's 6,000 metres above sea level at the peak, roughly. It's about 5,900 and something, but we say 6,000. And uh, because we're pastors and we slightly exaggerate things, like Ben sinking six balls off the break, who believed that? It didn't happen. You know. How many people have you got in your church? Well, we've got thousands. You know, he's going to be, he's going to be a great pastor. And... Uh, where was I? 6,000 metres above sea level. And when we start the climb, it's around 30 degrees. You see, the Mount Kilimanjaro is on the equator, so it's quite warm, 30 degrees Celsius at the base. And by the time we get to the top of the mountain, minus 20 degrees. So within a matter of six or seven days, there will have been a 50-degree shift in temperature from the bottom of the mountain to the top of the mountain. Wow. Did you know that, that that rock solid piece of steak that's frozen in your freezer is only frozen at about minus 16 degrees? And Ben and I and Tyson will be at minus 20 degrees, they tell me, at the top. So uh, these two, you know, I'm hot for the Lord, so I'm going to be right. But these two, I'm going to have to pray for them. They're going to go in a tent to share body warmth. And uh, But we go on these adventures. You know, I turned 40 a few, a few weeks ago and... and you know, I, I have a new sense of I, I don't want to waste time in life. I don't want to, you know, I want to experience the awe of God more. I want to do more things. So we do stupid things like climb mountains. There's nothing at the top. There's a sign. There's nothing there. There's nothing there but a sign and not much oxygen and minus 20 degrees. Yet we want to do it because we want this sense of awe in our lives. We want this sense of achievement. And, uh, 
and we strive for it. We go to meetings, we look for different music and, you know, if we don't like this music, all of a sudden our, the, our awe of God declines because we don't like the song. What's that all about? Oh my gosh, I love that song. God is awesome. Oh my gosh, I don't like that song. God is terrible. What's that all about? I want to have more of an awe in God, of God. I want to be more driven to a life of worship than I am right now. We can talk about worship all day. We can sing songs all day. But God wants us to be worshippers. And if we're going to be worshippers, we need to be in awe of the King of Kings. And no song, no mountain, nothing on this earth can bring us into awe of Him. We cannot create awe. It comes upon us. It's interesting if you look at the early church in Acts chapter 2, it says this in verse 43, it says, awe or fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. See, awe came upon them. They didn't go and find it. They didn't choose the right songs. They didn't get to the top of the mountain. Awe came upon them. all came upon them and this is my 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 challenge for us today is to get ourselves in a place is to humble ourselves to a place where all can come upon us and our life becomes a response to him and not a striving to discover all see you know we want to experience great things we want to do these great things but god wants to come upon us and it's when he comes upon us when our reverence and fear comes up when his reverence and fear comes upon us we become free in our worship not just in our singing but as we get out of bed we don't say good lord it's morning we say good morning lord this is your day this is the day of the lord and i will rejoice and be glad in it you know i want to see people set free from anxiety and depression and loneliness and these these big ticket um, struggles that we see around our nation today. I want to see people set free from them more than I'm seeing right now. I don't want finance to be the major decision maker in our lives. You find that our finances tend to drive us into different decisions about where we live, about what we do, about uh, about how we're going to, to whether we're going to go this way or that way. I don't want finance to be my driver. I want the Spirit of the Lord to lead me. Yet sometimes the things in my life cry out louder than the leading of the Spirit. It's tough to create awe though, isn't it? You know why? Because it comes upon us. So here's the thing. How does it come upon us? When does it come upon us? What do I have to do to become in awe of the King of Kings? What do I have to do? Where do I have to go? What do I, how do I have to act? What? 
Let's just take a step back. Acts 2, 37 to 47. You see, prior to this, it says, it says God poured his spirit out on all flesh. In verse, chapter 2, verse 37, it says, uh, it says, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And this is the, the verse prior to what we just read earlier. And they continued steadfastly, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then is the next word. Then, fear. Awe came upon them. See, they didn't decide to be in awe of the Lord. They decided to devote themselves to the things of God. And when they devoted themselves to the things of God, then awe came upon them. And once awe came upon them, signs and wonders happened. They became one. They had, it says they had all things in common. Can you imagine? Look around the room. Do you have all things in common with people? Now, Kristen and I, uh, there are, there's a few years between us, I think about eight years. And uh, once we got married, I discovered that her taste in music was horrific to my ears. And it still is. She has no recollection, no memory of the great movies and TV programs of the 70s and 80s. It feels like when we're talking about music or, you know, popular culture, that we have nothing in common. Yet here we are, 14 years later, still deeply in love. I know I am. She doesn't even like Seinfeld. Unbelievable. One of the big things that we hear when we talk to people who are struggling in their marriages, when they're struggling in relationship with people, is they say, we've just got nothing in common anymore. It's great when you get married because there's a buzz and there's romance and just, just holding hands sends the tingle through your body and it feels like you've just got everything in common. Yet the reality is, she's into music from the 90s. Nobody is into music from the 90s. I don't even understand that. She's into TV shows like Dawson's Creek. You know, where are the great shows like Welcome Back, Cotter? And all those, all those magnificent ones. You see, here's the thing. These guys, they, just, they, they, they stepped into an environment where they devoted themselves. They were baptized. They were filled with the Spirit. And then they devoted themselves to the things of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And they, when they devoted themselves to these things, then an awe, then a fear of the Lord came upon them and signs and wonders were done and they had everything in common. 
Here's the key to having everything in common. Make Jesus your everything. And then you will have everything in common. See, when Jesus is, is my everything and he's your everything, we can be interested in anything and still have everything in common. See, we can have interests, all those interests, those things that we have in common are just our flesh, are in the soul realm. But God wants us to have everything in common in our eternal desires, in, our, in our, what satisfies us deeply. What satisfies us deeply is Jesus Christ. But we don't know that. We don't get the fear. We don't get the awe. We don't get to respond to Him until we devote ourselves to Him. You see, we discover eternal life and it touches us in our heart, therefore we, we desire salvation. And out of our desire, we make a commitment to Him. And then we're baptized and we're filled with His Spirit. And after we're filled with His Spirit, it doesn't end there. Then we need to begin a life of devotion to His ways. And as we devote ourselves to His ways, to His teachings, to His wisdom, to fellowshipping with our brothers, to having communion with each other, breaking bread with each other and to pray together, then an awe will come upon us. And let me tell you, this community of Noosa, this shire of Noosa, needs the people of God to be full of awe of the King of Kings. Because when, he's, when we are in awe of Him, we are not concerned about what is in front of us. We are just responding to His greatness. We are speaking to people out of His greatness, not out of our lack. Not out of what we don't have in common. See, being filled with the Spirit and being devoted to His ways makes you a very unreasonable person. God wants us to be unreasonable in our faith. He doesn't want you to be convinced out of your faith. See, when, if, we, if we have a faith based on reason, then someone can reason us out of it. He wants us to be unreasonable in our devotion, unreasonable in our faith towards Him and His ways, unreasonable in our approach to God's goodness. Whatever is in front of us, no matter what the lack is, no matter what the area of doubt is, we need to be unreasonable that God is able beyond what is reasonably in front of us. An unreasonable devotion to discipleship. You know, we challenge part of our vision, our one, two, three this year, you know, is to commit to growing in our understanding of Christ and, his, and, and the Lord and His Word. We need to be unreasonable in our commitment we may have been in church all of our lives. For me, I've been in church for 40 years. For the first 15, church was inflicted on me. For the last 25 years, I've been inflicted on me. Sometimes, you know, you get put in a place. Sometimes you put yourself in a place. Either way, we can think that we know it all after a period of time, but we need to be continually devoting ourselves to the process of discipleship. And as we become disciples, there's a difference between discipleship and discipline. Discipline is about disciplining ourselves to follow a principle. Discipleship is about following a person. See, we need to commit ourselves. We need to follow... We need to follow Christ. We discipline ourselves in the ways of God. We're disciples in, Lord, what are you doing? I'm going to head in that direction. There's great reasons, though, why we can't do things in the area of discipleship, why we can't pick up the Bible and read it. Great reasons. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. Master chefs on TV. 
reruns of Dawson Creek, Dawson's Creek are on TV. Whatever your show is. If Welcome Back Cotter's on, that's a good reason not to read the word. I'm just, just kidding. There are great reasons not to get into his word and to pray. There are great reasons not to spend time with friends and family. But we need to be unreasonable in our prayer life. We need to, we need to unreasonably, I love what um, the old, one of the old Wesley brothers, I think it was Charles Wesley said, I'm so busy today, I need another hour of prayer before I get going. We need to be unreasonable in our faith and knowing that as, as more in the natural is in front of us, we need to be unreasonably creating more in the spiritual preparation before that. We need an unreasonable devotion to him and his ways. We need to be an, have an unreasonable devotion to fellowship. There's a bit of talk in our leadership at the moment about the difference between agreeing and agreements. I guarantee that we all disagree on a number of things. We all disagree on different aspects of the Word of God. We all disagree on, on who the greatest rugby league or AFL team is. We all disagree. Who won the, um, who won the rugby last night? Draw. Oh my gosh, sorry, I was praying, preparing for the message, and I missed the game. You know, we, 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 we tend to disagree on a lot of things, don't we? We tend to disagree on different aspects of the faith, but we have an agreement that Jesus Christ and Christ crucified is the centerpiece of our lives. See, we can, have disag we can disagree on many things, but there's one thing that we have an agreement on and that we are saved, that we are healed, that we are delivered, that we are eternal because Christ died and rose again. So I can have a great, I, I love, you know, I love deep, robust discussions or arguments for the rest of you. I love those things, talking about the word and sharpening, getting sharper and sharper in the ways of God. But because I know that my community with you, my love for you is not based on whether we agree of some doctrine. Our, our agreement is on that Christ crucified has set us both free and we are eternal brothers and sisters. And we will discover, we will get sharper in doctrine and truth as we discuss those things, but they will never become an offense between you and I. My love for you and I hope your love for me is based on the fact that we are related. Not based on the fact that we, have an, we, have, uh, we agree on specific finer things in life and in the Word. God wants us to be people who have an agreement based on Christ as our foundation. And this is why, you know, we have churches around the world now having communion once a month, once every, and if, you know, as, as we, we, we are unreasonable in the church world because we've chosen every week to set aside time to remember that Jesus died on the cross for each of us. We do it every week. We do it every week because that is the central theme of the church. The central theme of the church is that, that Christ, he is our cornerstone. And we want to remember that moment. There is much to learn about character. There is much to learn about how to live and principles and healing and all these different things. Yet he needs, we need to constantly remind ourselves that the chief cornerstone of life is Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we take that bread, we take that cup, and we remember 
every week what he did for us. You have an unreasonable devotion to prayer. Now, some of my favourite times on a Sunday is in the prayer meeting before church. At nine o'clock every Sunday, if you're if you're um, just sitting around home, you know you need to come in and get into the pre-church prayer meeting because it's a stirred-up place. The Spirit of the Lord is in there because there's so much agreement. There's a faithfulness. There's there was a great stirring in there this morning, and I I was I was I just wanted the church to continue in there. It was fantastic. See, we're unreasonable in our devotion to prayer. And it's as we become unreasonable in these areas that we gain an awe of Him. And here's the thing. It's not in me. It's in us. They were devoted. He says, go and make disciples not of individuals but of nations, of people groups. God is always talking to we and to us. He's saying, maintain the unity. He's calling us, he's calling us to be devoted as a people. That's why, that's why a part of our vision for this year is to get to know people within your church who you don't know because he's, he's saying, who is your brother and your sister that you do not know in your own house? He's challenging us. He's challenging us to be devoted to each other. And as we discover each other, as we discover our hearts, we will gain an awe for him. We've, we are four weeks deep into a um, speaking course, which is called Speak Up, which we've been running on Wednesday nights. And uh, last, just this last Wednesday night, week four, uh, we, I got everyone to share on, uh, on the vision of our church, which is nurture the broken. You know, the, the, the main, the, the main um, vision and mission that we have, nurturing the broken, redeeming our identity or position, equipping ourselves for relationship and worship and then influencing. So I asked them to take an area of their lives of brokenness, an area of redemption, an area of equipping and an area of influence in their lives and share it with us in three minutes. And we said, this is a, this is a safe place for you to share. So whatever gets shared in this room will never be taken out of this room. This room is like Vegas. What happens in Vegas? No, we, we, so there was a safety in that place. So they came and they shared. And let me tell you, when I got up at the end of that meeting, I said, that's the best church service I've been to in 10 years. It was moving. It was, it was one of the most spectacular um, times of my life. And let me tell you, my level of awe for God and his redemptive power just shot through the roof because I sat on the edge of my seat for an hour and a half as people shared an area of brokenness followed by an area of redemption and a lesson that was learned and an equipping and, a, and, a, and an influence they have out of the redemptive story of God in their lives and it was, it was spine tingling. And you know what now? That group of people that gathered we know each other more deeply. See, out of devoting ourselves to the process of growth, now we actually have a devotion to each other. We know each other's hearts. And when you know someone's heart, you have a huge amount of grace for that person, don't you? When you know someone's story, your level of grace for that person goes through the roof. We'll know when our unreasonableness is of God when our lives have a drive that cannot be explained with reason. 
See, most people's driving, driving life can be explained with reason. I need more money to buy more toys, to go on bigger holidays, to buy a better house, to do these things. I wear these clothes so I can be, be, more, uh, be more presentable to people so maybe they'll like me more and I'll have a better sense of purpose and uh, maybe I'll have some more friends. See, they're, they're reasonable things to do. But when we've got this drive, like Eric was talking about, these doctors stepping into a horrific place where a virus like the Ebola, the Ebola virus is present, we know that it's unreasonable to be there in the natural, in the flesh. It doesn't help them, it doesn't help them in, their, in their fleshly identity. It's unreasonable. There's a devotion to God liberating people. You know, when the plague hit, hit um, Rome in the, in the first few centuries, you know, people just disappeared out of town. And do you know who stayed? The Christians stayed. And a lot of them died. But one of the greatest revivals in the world was there was an unreasonable confidence from the believers to stay when things looked like they were going nowhere. And out of that, one of the hugest revivals, one of the largest intakes of people into the kingdom of God happened because people were unreasonable in their commitment to seeing lives saved and set free. See, we have an unreasonable commitment to purity, to discipleship, to forgiving the unforgivable, to preserving unity without agreeing on everything, to praying without ceasing, See, we won't, change, we won't change the world through our social programs. We won't change the world through our gatherings. We'll change the world through our awe of the Lord. We'll change the world through our unreasonable devotion to the ways of God. And when his awe comes upon us, we will see the signs and wonders. We will be people of one accord. We will understand a true measure of wealth. Isn't it interesting they had an amazing understanding of wealth? Here it is. He said they sold all their possessions and they gave to everyone who was in them. Here's the revelation of wealth right there. The revelation of wealth is I am wealthy when everybody around them is well fed. I am wealthy when there is no lack in my community. You see, we have a world that's trying to bring wealth to us at the cost of someone's wealth in another nation. You know, we have something like 27 million slaves on the planet right now, all different sorts. And a lot of it's to do with the West being able to be wealthy. See, God doesn't want us to be wealthy on our own. He wants us to have the revelation of wealth that when I have much and you have little, I give you some of my much. And when I have little and you have much, you give to me. You know, presentation is important. It's great to sing good songs. It's great to have a food program. It's great to go out into the streets. It's great to do great things. You know, the Bible says, bring to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout. It says, give your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here's the thing, though. Reason looks after you. Revelation. An unreasonable revelation helps you create a platform of liberation and of liberty for your children and your children's children and the community that you live in. God has called us to be people who gain a revelation of his goodness and live a life 
unreasonably focused and faithful to that revelation that we have. Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. He said, I pray for you constantly. Verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Do you know where that prayer was written? It was written in prison. Paul was in prison. Do you know where Jesus was born? He was born in a manger. I feel like the Lord's saying this today, don't despise the humbleness of your situation right now. The favour of heaven on earth was born in a manger. The New Testament, predominantly the, the, the letters of the New Testament were written out of a prison cell that we hang on to. We hang on to those letters that were written out of a prison cell. See, some of us live in the shed. Some of us are born, living in a manger. Some of us are in prison. So do you feel imprisoned by your circumstance sometimes? God is saying, don't despise your humble situations because out of your humble situations can the greatness of Lord be released to people. You see, here's the thing. If Jesus was born in a palace, he probably would have been killed by Herod. Paul's praying this amazing prayer for us that we would receive wisdom and understanding and revelation. And where's he doing for it? While he is in prison, he's praying for liberty for everyone else. He's not praying for his own liberty. He's praying for everyone else's liberty and revelation while he is in prison. See, the prisons or the circumstances or the contradictions we go through, they either turn us into a people of reason or into a people of revelation. And God wants us to be a people who act on the revelation of who He is, not on what's reasonably in front of us. Reason sounds like this. Did God really call me here? Am I really the right person? Maybe there's another town. Maybe there's another partner that I should be with. These are reasonably important questions to ask yourself. Revelation sounds like this. I am thankful for my eternal salvation. Revelation says, I pray that you may have all wisdom and revelation. Revelation takes the focus of my circumstance and puts it into your liberty. Revelation makes a doctor who's got a, who's got a, a, a great surgery in the U.S., leave his home and go into one of the darkest places of West Africa to, to, to help people with the Ebola. It's unreasonable. But in that place of unreasonable devotion, then an awe comes upon us about the King of all kings. And when that awe comes upon us, then we get to see the signs and wonders. Then we get to have all things in common. Then we get to discover what true wealth is. Then we understand true liberty when awe comes upon us. And God wants His awe to come upon you. And He's waiting for you to step into a place of devotion. And if you step into that place of devotion to His teaching, to His ways, to prayer, to fellowship, to remembering the cross, and as you do those things, then awe will come upon you. And it will come upon me. And we will impact our community with signs and wonders. And we will have all things in common. I have an abundance 
when there is nobody around me in need. That's an unreasonable approach to life. And it's the exact one that he's calling us to live in. Why doesn't the band jump up? See, God doesn't want our prisons, God doesn't want the humbleness of our situation to rob us from the call. See, if you're in prison and you're on call, then you just shift your approach. See, Paul's in prison and he's called to reach the Gentiles, but he couldn't get there because he was in prison. So because he remained on call, he says, well, I'll write letters to them instead. Here's the problem. If you use reason to think about your prison, you're just in prison. And who knows how bad prison is when you're not focused. If you're not focused on the call of God while you're in a hole, then the hole becomes pretty dark and pretty small. When you're focused on the call of God, when you're, focused, when you're devoted to the goodness of God, then no hole can trap you. There is a strategy, there is a solution, there is a way to keep going in the call, like Paul found that he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament while he was in that pit. He's saying, don't lose momentum while you're in the humble place, while you're in prison, while you're struggling, while you're in the manger. Don't lose momentum. Change strategy. Shift strategy. See, Paul went and started those churches in person. He went and served those churches through letters while he was in prison. John's call, Joseph's call, Daniel's call, Paul's call, they all put them in prison at some point doesn't matter where you are doesn't matter how low you are doesn't matter how tough things are God has this amazing capacity to work things together for good as we remain on purpose according to his will called to his purposes he has this amazing ability that goes through anything that we understand If you're driven by reason when challenge comes, the reasonable thing to do is to look for a way out. If you're you're driven by revelation when challenge comes, then you have an unreasonable energy and an unreasonable confidence to keep going, to persist, to dig deep, and to see God's will be done. See, our challenges want to isolate us. Our challenges want to, to, to they, they challenge us to step out of where we're at. And when we step out of where we're at, we know what Proverbs says. It says, he who isolates himself seeks his own desires. He who isolates himself seeks destruction. He's called us to be a we. He's called us to work together and to be a family. He's called us not to base our desire and our dreams purely on reason. And God's saying to each of us, He's saying we're all in a, always constantly in a time of promotion. He's always looking for ways to enlarge us. You know, we know that verse, his eyes go to and fro, looking for those who are loyal to, loyal to his ways so that he can strengthen them, so that he can promote them. He wants to promote us, but we need to remain on call wherever we're at. In our anxiety, in our depression, even though these times are dark, we need to know that, that he has called us. In our sickness... In our lack, he has called us. 
And he's calling us today to remain faithful to that call, to be devoted to him and his ways and to his people and to each other and to prayer and to remembering Jesus Christ crucified. And as we remain devoted, he will then fill us with awe of him. And it's in that place of awe that his goodness will bless others. Why don't you stand with me today? I'll put the challenge out to you today that God is not finished with you yet. No matter what you've seen, no matter what struggles you've had, I've been in church for 40 years and I've seen a lot. A lot of things that would give me a reasonable reason to walk away from churches and people of God. Look at all the horrible things that we do. But God's given me a revelation that He's never finished with any of us yet. And He wants us to be faithful to Him and to look deep into the heart of each other and find the goodness of God. To be devoted to fellowship and to remember that what we have in common is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When we understand these things, that's when he can do a work. That's why we can see the chaos of people do crazy things and still be faithful to God and his plan. And his plan for the world is the church. His plan for the world is for the church to be one and to devote themselves to each other and to him and to see. And as we have a love for each other, then the world will truly know that we're his disciples. Why don't you put your hand on your heart with me today? just let me pray Father we just thank you that you are mighty you are mighty to save you're mighty to deliver and to heal and to set free and we thank you Father that you have a desire to fill us with a, 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 a reverent fear and an awe of you Father. and we, we Lord we ask you today Father, we ask that you give us a revelation of your greatness Lord, we desire to have a new awe. Lord, we want to be worshippers out of awe, out of response to your greatness, Lord. We don't, want to, we don't want to respond to you out of our physical circumstances. We want to respond to you out with knees knocking in trembling fear and awe of the King of all kings, the creator of the universe, who is mighty to save, who even though we, we rejected you, you sent your son to die on the cross. We thank you, Father. We just ask that the impartation of all would be upon your people today. And we want to prophesy. We want to declare to ourselves that we are worshippers, Lord. We are worshippers in response to the Creator. In Jesus' name we pray.